I pray uh, as we look at God's word. So, Father, thank you so much for, uh, for the wisdom that you give to us uh, in your word. Um, thank you for Jesus, who is wisdom personified. And, Lord, I pray that uh, your word tells us that uh, if any of us lack wisdom, uh, if we ask, you'll give it to us. So we ask you to give us wisdom today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you may not know this to look at me, but I, uh, at one point in my life, was an avid cyclist. Now I'm an occasional cyclist, um, an extremely occasional cyclist, uh, like three times a year cyclist. Um, but years and years ago, I was on a group ride with some friends, and we were doing a week-long ride in the state of Colorado. And I'd done this route before, um, and so I kind of knew the route, and I had a plan on the last day of the, the ride, because we were going to go over uh, a mountain pass called Hoosier Pass. And on the back side of it, the direction that we were going, was a nice, long, sweeping downhill that was probably like four or five miles long. And so I was really looking forward to going down that uh, part of the mountain pass and breaking my land speed record, which for, for the record, 55 miles an hour. Um, and so that was my plan for the day. And so we start out the day, and you know, there's a group of about, uh, I think, 12 of us were riding. And I kept getting flat tires, so I kept just getting left behind by the group. And so I'd get a flat tire, uh, and I'd have to stop, and I'd change the inner tube, uh, and then I'd ride on for a little bit more, and I'd get another flat tire, and I'd change another inner tube, um, and then I'd ride on a little bit more, and I'd get another flat tire, and I'd change the inner tube again. So now I'm out of new inner tubes. So now I'm just, every time I get a flat tire, I'm then patching an inner tube. I had seven flat tires that day, seven. Um, now, somebody who is wise about these sorts of things would think, Oh, it's not that I keep running over glass. There can't be that much glass on the road in the state of Colorado. Uh, so there must be a deeper issue. There must be a deeper problem. But that did not occur to me. I just thought I keep running over like nails and stuff. And so, uh, so seven flats in one day. And uh, then I, get, I finally get to the spot. I get to the top of the pass. And I'm like, all right, land speed record time. I'm totally by myself. There's nobody with me because I've been left behind by the group. I'm like hours behind the group at this point. But I'm like, I'm going to do this. This is my plan. It's the last day of this, this trip, and I'm going to hit my, I'm going to 56 miles an hour. That's what I want. And, uh, and so I start coming down the, the pass, and I'm, I'm watching my little speedometer, and it ticks up to, you know, 25 miles an hour, which is my normal flat pace, by the way. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> More like five. Um, and so I see it tick up to 30. And I'm not even having to pedal at this point. I'm just, I'm just tucked in as aerodynamic as a man my size can be. And, uh, and I see it tick up to like 35. I see it hit 40. And then I look in front of me. And coming up, somebody decided they wanted to pass at this point. And so there's a van coming at me. And so I'm, he's in my lane. Uh, and he's coming right at me. And so at that point, I'm like, I better just pull off. But you can't slam on the brakes. You can't do that. Uh, you'd be dead. And so I just have to, like, pray that I'm not going to get hit by this guy. So thankfully, he saw me and moved back into the lane, and then I just, I, like, made myself a giant sail and just slowed down. That was really dumb, because here's what I found out after the fact. So a wise person would have said, oh, it's not that I'm running over glass. A wise person would have said, there's a problem with my wheel. And so when I got home after the ride, I took my bike in, and I was telling the guy at the bike shop that I would go to about this problem that I had. And he goes, well, let me look at your wheel. And so he pulls the tube out and he looks at it. He goes, well, there's your problem right there. The rim tape that covers all the sharp metal bits where the spokes come in was exposed in one spot. 
And so that's why you kept getting flat tires. Now imagine, imagine if I had an eight, eighth flat tire that day. I wouldn't be here today. So this is the importance of wisdom. Wisdom would tell me to look for a deeper problem, an, in, an internal problem rather than an external one. Um, and so, but I wasn't wise. Um, and so uh, wisdom says when you keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over and over again, look for a deeper cause. Look for a root problem. Look for something deeper, uh, which is obviously not what I did that day. And that's what we're going to see today. So like I said, we're picking up this, uh, again, this series for a few weeks on wisdom. And today we're looking at the wisdom of the heart. Um, and uh, here's what we said um, back in the fall when we first started looking at these things. Um, this is our definition of wisdom. Um, we can go to the next slide. Wisdom is this. It's persevering in doing what you learn from Jesus. That's what wisdom is. Um, wisdom is not only to know the right thing, but it's to do that thing day after day after day, even and especially when it's hard. In fact, if you do the right thing, especially when it's hard, that actually proves you are wise. That's the perseverance part of it. And so that when we're under the most pressure, when things are the most difficult, wisdom is what comes out of us rather than foolishness. And so that's what it is to be wise. And so the wisdom of the heart, which is what we're looking at today, is wisdom uh, looking all the way in, not just at the surface, but looking all the way into the deepest part of ourselves. And the way the Bible talks about the heart, um, it, does, uh, it does talk about the heart as the seat of a person's emotions. So in your heart is where your emotions are. The Bible talks about that all the time. It, you see that expressed in the Bible, that a person feels emotional pain in their heart. They feel grief in their heart, sadness, joy, gladness, courage, all these things the Bible says you can feel in your heart. But it also says that the heart is where a person thinks. Uh, the heart is a place where you remember things. It's a place where you consider things. It's a place where you actually can treasure things, it says. And even beyond that, the Bible actually talks about the place where decisions are made, that you decide something in your heart, it talks about. Uh, and so your will is located in your heart. That's, this is the way the Bible talks about the heart. And so the heart is not only where a person's emotions live, and so when the Bible talks about the heart, it's actually talking about the control center of a person's entire life. Um, D.A. Carson is a, a theologian in a book called uh, A Call to Spiritual Reformation. He says that the heart is the inner being. Uh, it's the domain of our being that controls our character and prepares us for heaven. That's what the heart is. Um, now, there's quite a few of us I've mentioned here at Christchurch that are reading a book right now called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in that book, uh, there's a diagram that shows us uh, that we're all sort of like icebergs. Um, and so this is the diagram from the book. Um, and uh, what's above the surface is sort of what we see. Um, that's just, that's what's out there. But actually, uh, the center of a person is what's below the surface there. It's the iceberg that's underneath the water. And so what's above the surface is what's obvious but it's what's happening below the surface, that is what is actually guiding and directing our emotions, our thoughts, our actions, and our decisions. In other words, what's below the surface is what is stored up in your heart. And so whatever is happening internally, whatever is stored up in there, 
is what will determine your dating life. It will determine the way your marriage goes. It will determine the path that your career takes. It will determine the way that you parent. It will determine how you use your finances. And it will determine your friendships and your relationships with your parents and your siblings. It will determine how you spend your time. It will determine how you vacation. It will determine what you watch on television. And so whatever is happening in here, in the heart, is what determines what you do out there. This is how the Bible talks about the heart. And so the wisdom of the heart is absolutely critical to our thriving and our flourishing. And so to look at this, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 4, which not only, by the way, it doesn't only talk about the heart, it talks about the whole body. And what it's going to tell us is this, is that if we can orient our entire bodies around getting wisdom, it will be like walking in the full light of day, never to stumble is what it says. And so let's see what Proverbs 4 has to say about the wisdom of the heart that gives us that kind of life. And we're going to do that almost as always under three headings. And so we're going to first see two paths, second we'll see one body, and then thirdly a singular focus. Um, So let's look at first the two paths. Um, I remember when I graduated from my undergraduate degree, um, I went to a school that had a kind of famous president. The president of my school was, was famous all over the world. And um, we just, he was a very, like, uh, a warm-hearted guy, but it was still very formal, the school that I went to. Like, I had a, you had a dress code. You had to have a collared shirt and everything tucked in and dressed really nice. So everything was kind of formal. So you'd always address faculty and staff of the school by a formal name, you know, Mr. So-and-so or Dr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so. Um, but colloquially, with my, my classmates, we always just called the president of the school when we were talking about him Joe, because that was his name. And so we'd always just be like, oh, did you hear what Joe said in chapel this week? Or did you you see the announcement that came from Joe uh, that we all have to do this now? Uh, And so that's just how we would talk about him. And so four years of of only ever calling him Joe, I think I met him like three or four times, uh, just only ever calling him Joe. So graduation comes, and we're walking across the stage, and they're handing out the fake diplomas because they never give you the real one. And uh, the president is handing them out. And I walked across the stage, and... He sticks his hand out, his right hand, and then they hand you the fake diploma on the left, and he says, congratulations, Ken. And I go, thanks, Joe. <laughs> I ran into him at Home Depot uh, about a year later, and he gave me a big hug. It was fine. We we're, all, were all good. But this passage that we're looking at is like that moment. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, it's, it's like a graduation. A comm- it's a commencement speech is what it is. It's a culmination of years of training, and then the the person or the people that are being trained are being sent out. And so the context is either a father sending his son out into the world as an adult for the first time, or it really is a kind of graduation of a new group of spiritual leaders that are being sent out by an older, wiser, experienced leader who's taught them. And so this father or spiritual leader, he, he uses in his commencement speech the metaphor of two paths. And one, he says, is the path of righteousness. The other is the path of the wicked. And so look again at verses 18 and 19. It says, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And so one is like the morning sun. The other is like deep darkness. And so let's look at that path of the morning sun, the path of the righteous. Now, why that metaphor? Why the metaphor of the morning sun? 
Um, well, look at the second line, because in literature like this, oftentimes the second line helps you interpret the first line. So the second line says, the morning sun shines ever brighter until the full light of day. And so that's, it's a picture of progression. So with each passing minute, if you ever are up early enough to watch the sun come up, with each passing minute, it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. It's a progression until it reaches the full light of day. And so do you get what he's saying here? He's saying that righteousness is always a progression. It's not like, I want to be righteous. Okay, boom, wake up the next day, fully righteous. That's not how it works. Gaining righteousness is like walking along a path. And when you walk, if you walk like I do, you walk step by step by step, one foot at a time. And so what this is saying is that today, you can take one step. You become a little bit more wise. And then tomorrow, you take another step. You become a little bit more wise. And then the next day, another step, and a little bit more wise. So wisdom is like a progression, like the morning sun getting brighter and brighter and brighter by the minute until it's at its highest point. And so this is the reason why we always talk about wisdom around here like it's a habit. Or another way we've talked about wisdom is that it's perseverance in doing the same thing over and over and over again until that becomes just how you are. Or another metaphor that we've used is wisdom is like planting seeds today that then germinate and begin to grow and they, you know, every day a little bit taller, a little bit taller, a little bit taller, a little bit taller, and then eventually they start to bud fruit and that fruit grows a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and then you harvest. And that's wisdom. And that's the picture here that the wise father is giving to his son. So he's saying, live wisely today, and that means tomorrow you'll be a little bit more wise. And eventually you'll get to the point where you are wise. And so the path of righteousness, the path of wisdom, is like the progression of the brightness of the morning sun, a little bit brighter minute by minute. Or think of it another way. The things that you do, The things you do today, the things that you think about today, the things that you look at today, the things that you speak about today, the places that you go today, are forming who you will become tomorrow and then next week and next month and next year. And so growth in righteousness, growth in wisdom, it's always gradual, always step by step, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Or it's thought by thought, Word by word, decision by decision, action by action, until one day you are wise. And we often use the phrase uh, borrowed from Eugene Peterson, who borrowed it from Frederick Nietzsche, to talk about what Christian growth is, what becoming wise is. And so in other words, growing in wisdom is a long obedience in the same direction. But of course, this wise father, he contrasts the path that is like the ever-increasing brightness of the sun Uh, with the path that leads to deep darkness. And that's the path of of the wicked, or the fool. Uh, Verse 19 says it's a deep darkness, so dark, that you don't even know what you're tripping on. Um, Years ago, I took a group of university students on a mission trip to the Czech Republic, and we were in the city of Prague, and uh, I was just trying to be funny. Sometimes I can be funny. Sometimes it backfires. And I was trying to be funny, and so we were, we were walking on this path to get to the bus station to go do some sightseeing that day. And there was a, a billboard along the side of this road that 
you know, you could walk around it, but it would take a while to walk around it. So there was like a well-worn path that clearly people, everyone who walks there, walks underneath the billboard and onto the other side. And so we're walking on this path, and I was like, I'm in front of everybody leading the group, and I thought, you know, there's a really funny thing you can do where you make it seem like you hit your head. Um, and so you, like, you walk up to a sign, and you hope nobody's like actually watching you, and with your hand, you like smack it really hard, then you go, oh! And so I, I, this is what I did, because I thought it would be funny. And so I do that, and then I'm kind of hamming it up, but I didn't realize that there were two billboards. <laughs> and so there was another one on the other side facing the other direction, and so as I'm hamming it up, and I turn around like this, I nailed the back of my head, and it put me down on the ground. <laughs> And the sad part about that is I did it in the brightness of the morning sun. <laughs> but this is about walking in a deep darkness. And this sounds like an obvious choice. And so, you know, you read this and you think, do you choose the ever brighter, warm, sunny path? Or do you choose the evil, dark, wicked one that will constantly cause you to stumble? Obviously, you pick the bright, sunny one. Only it's not that obvious. Because if it was, then the, the wise father wouldn't even need to instruct his son this way. And just think about your own life. How often you choose the dark path that causes you to stumble. When you know better, intellectually, you know it's not the right place to go. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, like the ever-increasing brightness of the morning sun, there is an ever-increasing darkness of the night. And so walking down that path starts out with a few choices that are what my British friends call cheeky, which is not a word we use here very often, so let me just try and define it for you. Cheeky is... Uh, it's 10 o'clock at night, it's time for bed, and I know I shouldn't eat that packet of Skittles right now, but I'm going to do it anyway. That was a bit cheeky. That's the kind of thing that it is. And so the wise father is saying with this contrast is walking down the path that leads to wickedness is like that. The first few steps don't really seem anything more than just a bit cheeky. But before you know it, as the sun goes down, 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 the path gets darker, 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 and now you start to stumble on things you can't see. And that is the opposite of wisdom. Persevering down the dark path is the opposite of wisdom. The book of Proverbs calls that folly. And so the opposite of wisdom is folly. You see, wisdom, it's always about who you're becoming. With every action, every thought, every decision, every word, every step that you take, you can become more and more wise. But of course, that can work, what this wise father is saying, that can also work in the other direction. And so your daily habits, your daily decisions shape who you are becoming. And just as a person can persevere in wisdom and righteousness and doing good, a person can persevere in folly and eventually become a fool. Because you know that word folly, the word folly is related to the word fool. And so every time a person chooses folly, they become more and more a fool. And so the wise father, he's shrewd to the ease with which we can begin to walk down a path that we know intellectually is the wrong path. 
the path of folly that leads to becoming a fool. And so intellectually, we look at this, and the choice is obvious, like, duh. You walk down the bright, sunny path. Keep on the sunny side of life, as the song goes. So there must be something else at play. There must be something else going on here that's leading us to our decisions. You know that. Like, you've experienced that, right? I'm not the only one, I hope. That every time you've chosen to do something, to say something, to spend time dwelling on something that you know intellectually, you know in your mind is wrong, but you did it anyway, you know that's folly. But you do it anyway. Me too. And when you and I, when you and I do that, something else is at play other than your mind, other than your intellect. Because you knew before you stepped down the path that it was the wrong path. But something else led you that way. And so what is it? In these next few verses, it's going to actually tell us to guard our hearts. In other words, just head knowledge is not enough to be wise. Wisdom needs to make its way all the way into the heart. And so that's why we need the wisdom of the heart. And that leads us to point two, one body. So why do we walk down this one road? Well, it says in, in verse 23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And there's our answer. Why do we choose to do what we know intellectually to be wrong, to be harmful, to be foolish, to be sinful? It's our heart. Because everything we do flows from the heart. The control center. Now, there's all kinds of other places in the Bible that mention the heart. I mentioned a few earlier, but specifically Jeremiah 17, verse 9, says this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And when Jesus talked about the heart, he said this in Mark 7, uh, verse 21 through 23. He said, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that, get this, Evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. Now, what he's getting at is we are drawn to the dark road because it is a reflection of the darkness that is already inside of us, in the control center of our lives, in our hearts. We're drawn to that road because that's already in us. And in some ways, we feel much more at home on the dark road than we do the sunny road, because that's what's in our hearts. And so there's your answer to why we choose what we know to be harmful and sinful and hurtful and foolish. It's your heart. Because remember, the heart is our inner being. It's the domain of our being that, that controls everything. It's the control center. And so because of that, this is why the wise father says, look, there's two paths. And you're going to walk down one or the other. The way to stay on the sunny one is above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Now, guarding your heart is... It's in stark contrast to the culture within which we live today, isn't it? Everything in our culture today screams, follow your heart. What's your heart telling you? Do that. 
Don't even worry about what other people think. If your heart's telling you to do it, do it. You must follow your heart at all costs. Go wherever your heart leads. But what this text is saying is the opposite. This text is saying, lead your heart. Lead your heart. Don't follow your heart. Lead it. Direct it. It actually matters what we put into our hearts because what we put in is what is going to come out. But Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 6. He said, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus is talking about the heart like it's a storehouse. It's a warehouse. It's where you store all the things. And he's saying there can be good stored in there or there can be evil stored in there. And so the question then becomes, how does either thing end up getting stored in there? How does it get in there? And that's what the references to the rest of the body in this passage come in. It's what we listen to with our ears. It's what we look at, what we gaze at with our eyes. It's what we say with our lips. It's where we direct our feet to take us. These are the inputs. These are, as it were, the loading docks to the storehouse. Your ears, your eyes, your lips, your feet are loading docks of what gets inserted into your heart. And whatever we put in is what will come out. It is inevitable. And so put in dishonesty, and out of the heart comes lies. Put in selfishness, and out of the heart comes self-absorption. Put in greed, and out of the heart comes jealousy and covetousness. Put in lust, and out of the heart comes porn addiction, promiscuity, and adultery. Put in anger, and out of the heart comes outbursts, fights, and quarrels. Put in hatred, and out of the heart comes racism, bigotry, and xenophobia. And so on the one hand, this passage is telling us how we become more and more foolish. It's by listening to, it's by looking at, it's by speaking about, it's by with our feet going to foolish things. And every time we do that, say that, gaze at that, speak about that, is one more step down the path of deep darkness that turns us more and more into a fool. But, on the other hand, this body metaphor is also very useful because it actually is telling us how we can guard our hearts. And though ultimately the heart is the control center of our lives, our ears, verse 20, our eyes, verse 21 and 25, our mouth and lips, verse 24, our feet, verse 26 and 27, all of those things influence the heart. And so just as much as we can insert foolish things into our hearts with our ears, our eyes, our lips, our feet, we can also insert wise and righteous things into our hearts with our ears, eyes, lips, and feet. And that is how you guard your heart. You guard it with your ears, eyes, lips, and feet, he says. And so, yes, your heart is continually why you choose to walk down the foolish, dark path until one day you're a fool. But also, the good news is, your heart can also be the reason that you begin to and continue to persevere in taking steps down the ever brighter, 
warm, sunny path of wisdom until one day you are wise. And so that takes us to point three, a singular focus. Now remember this passage, it's part of the commencement speech that a wise father is giving to his son before the son heads out uh, into his, uh, on his own into the real world. And what's, what's the most important thing that he tells this son? We don't have to look hard to find it. He, he says it, verse 23, above all else, above all things, above everything, guard your heart. In other words, that son who's going out into the world, daughter who's going out into the world, that is your singular focus. As you head out into this world where there are two paths, the way to stay on the ever brighter, sunny path of wisdom is to have this one singular focus, and that is to guard your heart. There's an ancient Christian writer named Augustine, and he lived and wrote in the late uh, 4th and early 5th century. And uh, in his younger years... Uh, before he became a Christian, uh, and eventually a, a very famous Christian leader, if ever there was a man who was walking down the dark, uh, foolish road, stumbling on his way to becoming a fool, it was Augustine. Uh, he was a womanizer. He was promiscuous. Um, his personal aspirations were only towards greed. He was an all-around bad guy. You would not have wanted to be his friend. But like we heard about last week in Acts chapter 4, Augustine had a mother who prayed constantly. Remember we talked about that? The believers prayed constantly. So this mother prayed constantly for him, and eventually he heard the words of the gospel spoken to him and had a radical transformation. And so hearing the gospel utterly transformed his life. And there's a story about him that goes like this, that after he became a Christian in Milan, he traveled home to North Africa for a visit. And when he got off the boat... Uh, at the port, he, he ran into an old girlfriend. And this old girlfriend, uh, essentially, she, she propositioned him. She was like, welcome back. Come on, let's go. And his response to her was something like, I'm sorry, you must be mistaken. I'm no longer the man that you once knew. And then it said that he, he turned and he ran in the opposite direction. Rude, <laughs> but wise. And this is what it looks like to... Choose the wise, ever brighter path with singular focus. He doesn't even entertain the idea for a second of going back to his old way of living. Now, by the way, he doesn't load this proposition into the storehouse of his heart. This is actually contrasting with probably several years of him loading something else into his heart. And so when he's under pressure, when at the moment that he most needs wisdom to stay on the sunny path and not walk down the dark path, what comes out of him but wisdom? Uh, in Augustine's most famous book, Confessions, which is a, a journal of his own prayers to God, he begins the book with this prayer to God. Uh, he says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now, what I think he's saying is all the things that we insert into our hearts through our ears, eyes, lips, and feet that are not God, every single one of those things that we insert in actually causes a restlessness, an insatiable hunger for more that causes us to return again and again to the lust that doesn't satisfy, the activities that don't satisfy, the gossip, the words of anger that leave us without rest. 
our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O God. And so there is only one thing to insert into your heart that fully satisfies it, and that is the love of God for you. Anything short of that will leave you restless. Anything short of that will leave you attempting to fill your heart with folly, which one day will turn you into a fool. So how do we get that singular focus? Jeremiah 17, we looked at it briefly just a couple minutes ago. Uh, That's the verse that said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so, of course, you, you read something like that and think, well, it's hopeless then. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Even the Bible says we can't cure our hearts. So what are we to do with that? Well, actually, it gets worse. Because the very next verse in Jeremiah 17, verse 10, says this. Now it's God saying, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. And it's in order to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Lord searches the storehouse of my heart and examines my mind, I'm pretty nervous about what he's going to find in there. There's all kinds of things I'm storing in there that are not good or wise or righteous. And if he's going to reward me according to that, then it doesn't look very good for me. And I can only guess that's your situation too. So what hope do we have? Well, Keep reading Jeremiah 17, because just a few verses down, it says this. Jeremiah 17, verse 14. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are the one I praise. And so the hope that we have is not in ourselves to save us, but for God himself, the one who searches the storehouse of our hearts and our minds, it's for him to save us. And look at Jeremiah's confidence. He says, you heal me, God, and I'll be healed. Not, I healed me, God. You heal me, God, and I'll be healed. You save me, and I'll be saved. And so how does God do that? How does he heal us? How does he save us? Well, God inserts a righteousness into our hearts from the outside. It is an external righteousness. The theologians call that an alien righteousness. And here's how that works. Jesus Christ, God the Son, who was God in the flesh, and his wisdom personified, wisdom actually lived out. He he lived the wisdom perfectly, the wisdom of the heart, the wisdom of Proverbs 4. He only walked on the ever brighter, sunny path of wisdom and righteousness. He never strayed. He never took one step to the right or the left or put a small fraction of a toe on the path of deep darkness. Never once did he do that which means he and he alone is utterly wise, utterly righteous. If God searched his heart, he would find only righteousness and goodness. And yet, he died the death of one who only ever walked down the dark path. He went to the cross, and when he died there, he died the death of a fool that didn't deserve it. And what the Bible explains is that for those who call out to God for healing, for salvation, like this verse in Jeremiah, that God then inserts Jesus' righteousness into our hearts. It says in Galatians 4 that anyone who asks God for this healing and salvation, 
becomes God's child. And it says this, Galatians 4, 6, that God sent the spirit of his son, where? Into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. In Romans 5, 5, it says again, for anyone who has asked God for healing and salvation from the wickedness and the sin that is in our hearts, what does it say, Romans 5, 5? God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God inserts an alien righteousness into our hearts. And so how do you and I get that salvation, that healing for your heart? And I love this. Remember that Proverbs 4 says one way to insert something into your heart is through your lips. Remember that? I love this. Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So do you see the dynamic at work? The mouth, the lips inserting something into your heart. Now here's just a simple prayer that you can pray if you want that salvation. I'm going to put that on the screen. And it goes like this. God, if you heal me, I will be healed. If you save me, I will be saved. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, is the Son of God who died for my sins and I declare that he is Lord. Please put his righteousness into my heart that I would be saved. Amen. Now, I know there's lots of people in this room that have prayed a prayer like that and God's righteousness has been inserted into your hearts. But there might be some of you who that's not true of you. Who you know, if you search the heart, if God searched your heart, you know what he'd find in there. And so what I want to do is I'm going to offer you an opportunity to pray this prayer. We're going to do it sort of like we did uh, the, uh, the Apostles' Creed earlier when we all sort of said it together. And so if you're a Christian and this is already true of you, I want you to say this again, not because you're being saved again, but because you love this truth. Um, and if you are somebody who wants to have your heart restored, wants to be healed, wants to be saved, then you can pray this out loud with us. So be on the screen and let's read this together. God, if you heal me, I will be healed. If you save me, I will be saved. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for my sins, and I declare that he is Lord. Please put his righteousness into my heart that I would be saved. Amen.